Good morning, church family. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, we're looking at verses 11 through 14 today. And if you're using one of the Bibles that we provide under the seats, you'll find this on page 983. I will begin in a word of prayer, and then we'll consider this passage together. Let's pray. Our Lord, you've given us another beautiful Sunday morning to gather together as a church family and to worship you. And Lord, for this we are so thankful. Help us never to take these moments for granted, Lord. What a, what a precious thing it is to be here. We thank you, Lord, for giving to us a, a rich treasury in your word. Thank you for the book of Colossians and how it speaks to us today. Lord, I pray that you would help us now to concentrate all of our energies on the verses that we're considering. Lord, help us to understand the meaning of the text. And then help us to know how to apply it to our own situations. And Lord, we pray these things in your Son's name. Amen. So last week I posed this question. What do you do when someone you love is experiencing a crisis of faith? And from the book of Colossians, we learn that there are two things we can do. We can talk to them about it, and we can pray for them. And right now, we're considering how to pray for them. Last week, we were in verses 9 and 10, and we were looking at Paul's first prayer request for the church of Colossae. See, the church of Colossae was in a crisis of faith. They were a young, fledgling church. They were in the midst of a pluralistic culture. And there were advocates of competing systems of thought around them, trying to compel them to change the gospel or to supplement the gospel with their own thinking. And the church was being shaken in their faith. So Paul prays for them. Paul lets the church know that he's praying for them. And he tells them what his prayer requests are. Verses 9 and 10 contained the first of his prayer requests. And here it was. He said, May you be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So in other words, as Paul looks at a church in spiritual crisis and he considers what their needs would be, this is the one that rises to the top of the list. Paul says, this church needs to know the will of God. That's what they need. First and foremost is that will is embodied in the gospel message. That message shows us what God's will is for us in relation to Him. It's how we're reconciled to Him. The gospel tells us about the work of Christ, which was all sufficient for our salvation. Nothing needs to be added to it. Nothing should be taken away from it. And if this church could just grasp the reality of the gospel, to know it and to trust it, then they would no longer be tempted by these competing systems of thought. And not just the gospel, but to know the whole will of God, to know all of his moral teachings for his church. Paul says if they could be grounded in that, then they would walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So this was key for Paul. If a, if a person or a church is in a, a struggle for its faith, 
then the first thing they need from God is for God to help them to understand as they are pouring over His Word, to help them understand what that Word is teaching and to fully be convinced in their minds and hearts of it and to have the power of discernment so that as they look at what they have become convinced of and they compare it with the other systems of thought coming their way, they will know what to do with it. They will have the ability to live lives fully pleasing to God. Not half-reformed lives, but fully reformed lives, fully conformed to the will of God. And I noted last week that this is really a prayer request for all occasions. It doesn't matter if a church is solid in its faith commitments or if it's struggling, if it's in a time of prosperity or a time of, of great trial. This is something that we all need all the time. We need God to be doing a work inside of us such that as we read His Word, we can understand it and we see the significance of it for our lives and and we believe it and make it a part of us so that nothing else that is offered to us is even a temptation anymore. We need this so that we can live lives fully pleasing to God. That was the first prayer request that Paul offered, such an important request. But now today we're in verses 11 through 14 and we're considering Paul's second prayer request. He states it in the first part of verse 11 and then he will flesh it out in the second part of the verse and then all the way through the remainder of our text today. Here's Paul's second request. He says, May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Okay, So request one, may you be filled with all knowledge. Request two, may you be strengthened with all power. Knowledge and power. These are the things Paul believed this church needed. Now, there are a number of important truths baked into this second prayer request. And I want to spend my time trying to to reveal those truths to you. The first and most obvious fact about this request is the following, that our God is mighty. Our God is mighty. Look at the request again. Paul says, May you be strengthened with all power according to God's glorious might. So God is mighty. Indeed, within the being of God, there is a power that exceeds all imagination. This is why the scriptures call him the Almighty. He is God all powerful. God capable of doing all his good pleasure at any time and all the time. Friend, if you need any proof that God is mighty, just look at the universe around you. As I speak to you, scientists are telling us our physical universe is 93 billion light years across. 93 billion light years. That means if you were to turn on a flashlight at one end of the universe, it would take 93 billion years for the light of that flashlight to reach the other side. And light travels at 186,000 miles per second. Our universe is, is unimaginably vast. And within this universe, there are more than one trillion galaxies. Each of these galaxies containing hundreds of millions of burning suns. And around many of those suns, there are orbiting planets and moons orbiting those. And friends, this is just 
what we can observe right now. Just imagine what the next generation of instruments will reveal to us. This universe is unimaginably vast and beautiful and complex. But what does Genesis 1-1 say? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In Psalm 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies show the, the work of His hands. This is all God's doing. By His power, He made all of this. By his power, he also created life. Think of it. I mean, living, breathing, thinking beings. God made those. By his power, God rescued the Israelites from their slavery in Egypt. He brought them into the promised land and made of that group of slaves one of the mightiest nations in the history of the world. By his power, God added a human nature to the divine nature of his eternal son, creating a hypostatic union so that his son could dwell among us on the earth. And by God's power, he took us who were dead in trespasses and sins, and he made us alive together with Christ And he gave us all that we would need for life and godliness. See, we have a powerful God. And according to the scriptures, God is pleased to share some of his might with us to our eternal profit and pleasure. And so Paul prays, may God strengthen you with some of his might. They had already experienced the power of God. They were born again. This was was a church of, of real believers. But there was more of God's power yet to be experienced. And so Paul says, you who have already experienced that power, may God give you more and more of it. May he fill you up to the fullness of what you can handle of his power. Now, what is this spiritual power that God is able to share with us? Well, in this text, God's power is His grace. It's His grace poured out into our hearts to make us more and more like our Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul says, may God strengthen you with His power. What Paul means is, may God fill you in ever-increasing measure with His grace. And friends, why would the church need God's power, God's grace? Friends, we need it and in ever-increasing measure because without it, the church of Christ would absolutely fail. Just think about the nature of the church with me. In most parts of the world, the church of Christ is an extreme minority in the societies that she inhabits. In many of those places, the believers who make up the church are in grave danger. We have this map um, in the hallway outside of our auditorium. It's called the persecution map. You will see vast swaths of our globe painted red. Those are areas where Christians are in extreme danger from the government and from the populations. Just last night, I was reading about the, the horrors taking place in Nigeria. 
Did you know that since 2009, more than 40,000 Nigerian Christians have been murdered in cold blood at the hands of Islamic militants? And since 2009, more than 17,000 Christian church buildings have been destroyed. In many parts of the world, life is very, very hard for the church. If you look back at that map again, you'll see other parts of the globe painted in brown and yellow. These are places where governments are not sanctioning persecution, but it's happening nonetheless by the local populations. And then there's the other part of the globe, painted blue. That's Western Europe, Australia, North America. And these places, Christians have it pretty easy. But that still doesn't mean that it's completely easy. Christians, even in the blue parts of the world, struggle with competing systems of thought. They struggle with their own forms of persecution. Friends, the church is very, very vulnerable around the world. How is the church supposed to hold up under these circumstances? Or, friends, think about the mission of the church. The church's mission is to spread out all over the world and to share a message that most people will find either offensive or foolish. So the Apostle Paul describes it in 1 Corinthians Think of the message that we are carrying to the people of the world. We are going to them and saying, You are dead in your transgressions and sins and are right now under divine judgment. And it's only going to get worse if you continue in that state. But be of good cheer because God is gracious. He sent His Son for your sake. Your son, his son lived a a perfect life and then he went to the cross bearing the full weight of your sins on his shoulders. He made an all-sufficient atonement for you. And if you will repent of your sin and trust him with your whole heart, your slate will be wiped clean. You'll be given his positive righteousness. You'll have reconciliation with God that starts now and carries on into all eternity. It gets better and better. That's our message. But most people hear that and think, that's offensive. You've called me a sinner. They think, that's foolish. How could one man's death substitute for all the rest of us? But this is the message that we have. How is anyone going to believe this message? Think of the intellectual challenges constantly tempting the church to alter its own teachings. Here in Colossae, the believers were being uh, hit by advocates of competing traditions, competing philosophies. They were being encouraged to adopt new worship practices. They were being told that the gospel is insufficient to have a right relationship with God, that Christian morality is also insufficient. They were being told that if they didn't adopt these new systems of thought, in addition to the gospel, they would both be not right with God yet, and everybody around them would look down on them. They would be judged by their society. How is the Colossian church supposed to bear up under that? Or today, all over the world, churches find themselves surrounded by competing ideologies. The advocates of those ideologies press in on the church saying, conform, be like us, or we will judge you as either unintelligent or morally abhorrent. How do we bear up under all of this? 
Or think of the internal challenges facing the church. You know, we might be born again, but we've still got sinful natures, don't we? And all our lives long, we will continue to struggle with indwelling sin. Every day we struggle with pride, malice, lust, greed. You know, any one of these things on their own would be enough to rip a church apart. We struggle with all of them every day. How is the church to maintain its cohesion when we have these internal sin conflicts that can erupt? Well, friends, the only way that the church can endure is with the grace of God working in the church and through the church. It's the only way. Or to use Paul's language here, it's only when we are filled up to the fullest measure with God's power. Through His power, His church will not only survive, but it will thrive. You see, without God's power, the church of Christ is doomed. We will go the way of the Persian Empire, the Babylonian Empire, the Roman Empire, and all of the religions that used to be practiced by those empires. They're all dead. Without God's power, the church would die too. With God's power, the church is guaranteed not to die. With His power, with His grace, the church is guaranteed to persevere right to the very end of the world. And so she has up to the present time. See, friends, God is mighty. God is pleased to share his might with us. And because of that, we are guaranteed to thrive. Look at the second part of verse 11 now. Paul writes, May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the purpose of, he says, all endurance and patience. So there it is. Without God's power, no perseverance, no endurance. With it, it's guaranteed. Paul uses these two different words. First is endurance. This means to bear up under difficult circumstances. As I've noted, sometimes the church finds itself in very, very difficult circumstances. There are threats of terrorism against the church. There are oppressive governments. Right now, we're living through a global pandemic, and it isn't the first time the church has lived through a pandemic. Sometimes circumstances are very, very difficult for the church. But with the supernatural power of God, working in the church, working through the church, it is guaranteed to survive any hardship it faces. Then the second word Paul uses is patience. This word speaks of bearing up under difficult people. So, Difficult circumstances, difficult people. Again, this world is filled with people who are hell-bent on destroying the church of Christ. Look what's happening in Nigeria today. Look what's happening in other parts of the Middle East. The church has always faced people like this, people who would seek to stamp out the church. Again, it is by the supernatural power of God that the church will endure. Friends, God is mighty. 
God is pleased to pour out His power upon His church so that its people may continue to endure in the faith on this earth until the full number of God's elect come in. That is His guarantee to the church. Paul knows this, and so Paul prays it. God, give us your power. We need it. We need it to endure the circumstances of life. We need it to endure the people of life. And we know we will not fail without it. In fact, Paul says, with God's power, His grace at work in our lives, not only are we guaranteed to persevere, but we will do so with joy. Look at the very end of verse 11. With joy. I love what the Puritan minister Edward Rayner says about joy. He says, quote, Joy is the leaping and dancing of the heart in the fruition of good So by God's power, His church is not only guaranteed to survive whatever should be thrown its way, but it can do so with a leaping and dancing of the heart. It can have joy in God, even as it experiences the sorrows of the world. You see, when we come to faith in Christ and are strengthened by God's grace our hearts become knit to something that far transcends the problems of the moment. Our hearts are knit to God in Christ, who is the fountain of pure joy. And so long as we are tapped into that fountain, we know nothing but joy ourselves. Paul says we can endure with joy. And then verse 12, he says we can endure with a thankful heart. He says... For all endurance and patience with joy, verse 12, giving thanks to the Father. And what are we giving thanks to the Father about? It says, He has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. That's what we're grateful for. So are there trials to face? Absolutely. And they will continue all life long. But what is that compared to what God has done for us through Christ? I mean, He has made us alive with Christ. He has canceled our record of sins. He's given us a cloak of perfect righteousness. And He's given us an inheritance with the saints in light. That means you and I have been given the same inheritance that Moses and Elijah and John the Baptist and the twelve apostles and all of the great people of God of old are going to enjoy. Their inheritance is our inheritance, and it's with God in light. See, this is why we can endure with thanksgiving. We know that whatever we may be called to suffer the loss of here, it is nothing, it's nothing compared to what we have already gained through Christ and what we will take hold of in God's own time. This is further elaborated in verses 13 and 14. It says, He, God, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. See, this is what we have. This is what cannot be lost to us. We have a kingdom. We have a redemption. We have a forgiveness. By God's grace, these are the things that we will cling to with gratitude and joy whenever we face the trials of life. 
And it is, it is the, the knowledge of these things and the strength of God working in our hearts causing us to delight in these things more than anything else that we will persevere right through to the end with sound doctrine, good morals, and good works. Now you will notice something here about the request. Paul's request teaches us that God will rarely deploy his power to remove the difficult people or circumstances from us. Paul doesn't say, may God in his power remove all of your troubles so that your life can be easy now. No, instead he says, may God deploy his power into your hearts so that he changes you. So that as you have to deal with all these difficulties around you, you will be a different person inside. You'll respond to it differently. See, God normally does not change our outward circumstances. Instead, God uses circumstances to change us. He uses his, the, the difficult circumstances of life to manifest himself more fully to us working in us knowledge and joy and gratitude that we might persevere. See, God didn't prevent His own Son from experiencing persecution and death. He does not promise to keep us from these things either. He will do a work inside of us. He will fill us with joy and with gratitude, even as we continue on in faith and good deeds. That's what God's power can do for us. Now, the big question is, how do we access this power? How do we access it? Well, the answer is simple. The power of God or the grace of God is accessed by prayer. It's as simple as that. So the Apostle Paul prays here, right? May God fill you up with his power. It's accessed by prayer. You see, God has designed the Christian life in such a way that if we are to succeed in it, we must be in constant communion with God. We must be constantly going to God every single day, asking for the enabling grace that we need for that day to face all the challenges of that day, and then God will answer that prayer. He will give it to us. Just enough, no more, no less than we need for that day. And then the next day, we need to pray again. God will give us the grace we need again. God has designed the Christian faith to work this way. We must be in constant communion with God if we are to succeed in the Christian life. So we access it by prayer, but then it is channeled to us by means of God's Word and His Spirit. Again, ways in which we commune with God. This is why we study God's Word. This is why we listen to sermons based on God's Word. It's because God the Holy Spirit works through His Word. So we are praying, God, give me an extra measure of your enabling grace today. Help me to face all the challenges that I have before me with joy and with gratitude, keeping my eyes fixed on that coming kingdom and all those promises. And we make that prayer, and then we go to His Word, and we read it, and we meditate, and study it, and we come to church, and we learn more about Him. And God uses all of that to channel His power, His grace, into our hearts. We receive it, 
take hold of it. And we are ready for whatever life faces. Now, if I could personalize this passage here at the end. Friends, we have Christians at all stages of their spiritual life in this room right now. We have brand new Christians, and we have people who have been believers longer than I've been alive. All manner of Christians are here. You know, when we begin the Christian life, often there is a high level of enthusiasm for the things of God. But then as our Christian lives progress, and we just face more and more trials, the battle against the the nature within us seems to intensify, so we become more aware of what's inside. And as the problems around us just seem to mount, and we can start to grow weary, our resolve can weaken over time. You know, in these very strange and difficult times in the life of our nation, we can grow especially weary. I know I'm not the only one who's tired of of the conflicts, and you just want it to to end, and sometimes you feel like, like it could be easier if you would just mellow out a little bit, like water down your faith and not not be a robust witness for Christ. Maybe the heat would be taken off a little bit. Well, friends, what is going to help us to maintain our fervor all life long? That that white-hot flame that you had the moment you came to faith in Christ, how are you going to keep that white-hot for the 50 years of the Christian life that God gives you? How are you going to persevere? How are you going to maintain that sharp eye so that you can distinguish between good teaching and false teaching and, and between healthy doctrine and, and unhealthy doctrines? How, how are you going to be able to maintain a, a life of virtue? How will you make good decisions all life long? You're not going to do it in your own power, my friends. You're going to do it only when you have made the choice to stay in constant communion with your God. Every day, you're praying to God, asking for His enabling grace, and you are reading His Word and praying that God would fill you with knowledge, that that the lessons you learn in His Word would stick up here. You'd remember them and, and hang on to them. See, this is, this is all that is necessary for us to persevere, but it is necessary. We must call upon God. We must ask Him for His grace. We must get into His Word and study. My friends, have you taken full advantage of the spiritual power that is available to you from God? It's, it's there for the taking. It, it's like a, a ripe piece of fruit dangling right before your eyes. All you have to do is just reach out and grab it and pull it near. It's that close to you. Will you take hold of God's power? It's the only way we'll persevere. And to persevere with hearts that are leaping and dancing with joy. And filled with thanksgiving to God for all that He has done for us. Let's pray together now. Lord, we thank you for another opportunity to consider your word together as a church family. Lord, may you fill us with all knowledge, giving us all wisdom and spiritual insight. 
And would you also fill us with all power according to your glorious might? Would you so work in us through your word and your Holy Spirit that we would have joy and thanksgiving overflowing from our lives even when all earthly things seem to be falling away? Might we be shining lights for you all our lives long? Lord, might you be pleased to reach many people through our witness? We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.